This week, we'll hear from a couple of founders who entered the Dragon's Den and emerged with a potential deal. Plus, we'll check in on some other Edmonton companies that have made similar pitches. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. I wonder what you think about these business-oriented reality shows like Dragon's Den and, and Shark Tank. Are you a fan of those? You know, to be honest, I don't watch them a ton, um, but I do like the concept of them. You know, for me, reality TV, I'm a, I'm a big sucker for reality TV all the way from the Kardashians, which some could argue is a business-oriented reality yeah. show, to yeah. Top Chef, to, to Shark Tank and Dragon's Den. I like I like the idea of them in general. I think they're great. Have you ever considered pitching field notes on a show like that? No, I'm I don't think I'm brave enough yet. I think yeah. um pitching in front of a lo- room of live people is my comfort level so far, but I wouldn't be opposed to it in the future if I felt like it was the right the right place. Well, you had a chance to interview a couple of Edmonton innovators who did take the plunge. They were on uh, Dragon's Den last week. Who did you talk to and what did they pitch? I talked to a couple of friends of mine, Shermeen and Ali Habib of Yume. They went on Dragon's Den to share their new product, which is called Rest. Uh, and they were looking for $380,000 for 5% of their company. And uh, they were nice enough to talk to me the morning after they hosted a screening party for it. So here's my conversation with them. So we've known each other for many years, and I got a chance to try REST as part of a beta group a few months ago. And I've been singing your praises for a long time. Um, but for anyone who hasn't heard me give them the pitch yet, can you give us a quick overview of what REST is and how you got to this point? So REST is, I guess I'll take a step back. It was essentially inspired by a, a routine eye exam when we really wanted to create something that would address um, the main complaint we were having, one as uh, as optometrists, where patients were not compliant with what we would recommend at home, which was a warm, wet towel. Um, and then patients were struggling with kind of the convenience aspect and wanting to do that and, and be able to um, get the relief they needed. And so we wanted to create something that was able to deliver consistent controlled heat. But when we looked into the problem a little bit more and, and tried to be curious about what was triggering all of this, we learned that there was so much more that was behind, um, you know, using screens all day and, and triggering the symptoms that we all feel. So we developed a, a device uh, and it delivers heating, cooling, vibration and thermal wave patterns. And the whole kind of premise behind this is to... Uh, deliver a therapeutic level of heat that relaxes and soothes tired eyes from being on, strain, on screens all day. But it also gives people an opportunity to take that space to rest and to like actively disconnect uh, their mind as well as their eyes. So we really call it like a, a rest and recovery routine. It is kind of like we're putting that R and R and R on it mm-hmm. uh, for the daily kind of relaxation that we think we need now because of like how much time we spend both work and play digitally, right? There's no real on off switch. When you leave work, you're still kind of, it's in your pocket and you're kind of always attached or you're always on. Yeah. And sometimes I find that even when I'm resting away from my computer screen or even my phone, I'm on other screens, like I'm watching TV or, Mm -hmm. you know, even now when I look up a recipe, when I'm cooking, it's often on my iPad or something. So it's like, we're just, 
inundated with screens everywhere all the time. Exactly. So I know everyone's curious, obviously, about Dragon's Den. Um, mm -hmm. And so I know people don't just jump into the decision to go on Dragon's Den or even to raise money in general, uh, mm -hmm. let alone in such a public way. How did you guys think through the opportunity of auditioning for Dragon's Den? And mm -hmm. what were some of the pros and cons that you weighed in, in the decision? I'll let Shermin answer this one because, uh, because I think what Fize is asking is essentially like most people take time to think this thing through. This was basically, we were kind of knee deep in a, in a accelerator program at the time and the opportunity came up and Ali was like, Hey, we should do this. What, what do we have to lose? And, uh, and then that kind of was left on the team and the team kind of hustled their way. And one of our team members kind of helped us put an application together and we just kind of went about our day. It kind of illustrates how things operate around here because um, Ali is always kind of keeping an eye on, you know, any and every opportunity because who knows, right? And there's always a curiosity about where this could lead and we'll see what happens when we get there. So what she's trying to say is like, yeah, we didn't really put a lot of thought no, into it. We're just like, hey, it's closing. Um, what Put in an application. And yeah, we Why just not? decided like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. And were you doing it when you did um, get accepted? Mm. Were you already raising money? Like, were you thinking about it from a raise perspective or marketing or both? Yeah, a little bit of both, actually, because like the programs that we were participating in were actually gearing us up to be ready to raise. Uh, so we were like, you know, getting all our value props in line, our kind of like what our use of funds would be, what are the kind of like the milestones that we were trying to achieve. And so we had a good sense of like what direction we were going in and then Dragon's Den happened. And, and it was interesting because like one of the things that we were going back and forth a lot on was, are we like a D to C company or are we like a B to B company or a B to B to C company or a B to C to B company? Like it was like, there's all these things that we were kind of just experimenting with and like still like, you know, kind of uh, exploring, but um, the timing just felt right. Like it's mm -hmm. just like, low risk, you know, high reward kind of, you know, medium effort. Uh, so we said, like, let's just go for it and, and, and try. Cool. And I should add that we're going to, there's going to be some, some spoilers in this episode. So if people haven't seen the episode yet, they should probably hit pause, mm -hmm. go watch it online and then come back to this because obviously we want to dive into to what it felt like to be on Dragon's Den and ultimately what you guys are deciding to do. So the thing that I'm curious about is, I mean, it's a big deal in general to put yourself out there in front of, you know, millions of people and be giving this pitch live versus in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Mm -hmm. But how did you feel when you heard some of the dragons pass on the deal? You know what? Like, honestly, like we've been grinding at this for like We've been while. told no before. Yeah. It wasn't our, it wouldn't have been our first <laughs> no, right? It just, there would have been an audience around it and seeing yeah. us being told no. So like, I think we were fully comfortable hearing a no. Like, I think this was. I think we were more yeah. focused on telling the right story in the way, not, not just that it sounded right, but that it was authentic and that we had put behind it the thought ourselves to say like okay what is it that we're trying to say what is it that we want to share like getting the right story out and um knowing our business so well mm -hmm. that whole journey of getting to a point where we were like ready was i think more of where our focus was than the actual kind of mm -hmm. pitch itself i think we didn't even think about it we didn't even have that context of like oh we're going on tv 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that almost kind of came afterwards. Yeah, I think we were just more like just like we just wanted real, authentic kind of people to work with, and like that's you know we were excited about you know some of the people that were on the show and like how they could help push us, you know, like help us learn more, grow more, and you know obviously like point us in different directions and open different doors that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Yeah, so to answer your question, like um, when there were some no's to the offer, I think that... Did you feel anything? Like when that first no came, like what was your... No, I was just like, okay. Like it didn't make, it didn't not make sense to me um, because there was, after we did our pitch and our story, there was a moment of kind of resonance, that there was an understanding of the problem. Mm. There was an understanding of who we were, what we were trying to present, that it felt that we were taken yeah. seriously and yeah. um, authentically. And that, so I kind of accepted the answers that came. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is actually really, really like on point. Cause like what happened was like the entire room was like rooting for us. Like it was like actually really cool. And then the reasons that people said no, were just more of fit. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, dating for example right it was just kind of like no no too short you know like yeah it's exactly (laughs) it wasn't even like who we were or what we were doing i think it's just like where they thought they could add value yeah so it's like you don't take it as personally because it wasn't about them not seeing value in your business it's just them not feeling like it was the right time right deal for them like one thing i thought was was really cool is that michelle romano it's almost like you handed her your key messages before the start of the show or something. Cause she, it seemed like she was nailing it in terms of being your ideal customer and identifying with the problem. So, you know, when, when she validated that and talked about how her eyes were suffering during zoom calls and things like that, did that kind of make you feel like, like, yes, we, we nailed the problem. Like we, we are solving the right thing. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We had like, I had tingles because I was like, oh, I had no idea, yeah. like, the stuff that she had gone through personally. But when she said what she said, like, I was like, well. And then it also, like, it's been a journey, right? And it's taken us a while to get to where we are and the product to where it is. But it's evolved. And it and you could see that there was a shift in how people were resonating with the problem. And we were spending less time talking about the problem and the screen time and why all this stuff happens and more about we are all feeling this. What is your solution? And like, let's talk about that. And that gave us a nice um, opportunity to talk about, you know, the wellness and the mental health aspects, which are sometimes hard to kind of, um, for people to connect with and, and, and resonate with initially. So that was a nice shift. That we were yeah. able to. Well, it's funny because when you say that, because even when you first told me about what you guys were working on, this was probably, it's over five years ago, I think. And I resonated with the dry eye issue for sure. And obviously it's gotten way worse over time just because naturally the way we depend on screens is going to change and all that. But I also wonder how, how much do you think the pandemic has accelerated the point that we've gotten to with the mix between our vision, our mental health, rest, all that kind of stuff. Because I think we would have gotten here anyway at some point. But do you think the pandemic just made things move a lot faster to the point where people can actually 100% resonate with the message that you're putting out? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, like, you know, before the pandemic, you know, we used to focus on our guilt a lot in terms of, like, screen time, right? And then the pandemic happened, and then we had to become completely reliant 
on technology, right? Work from home, Zoom, et cetera, right? Then that line between like, you know, going to the office and then leaving the office and recognizing that was the end of your work day was no longer as obvious. And so now it's kind of seeping into like everyday life. Like, and I think people are struggling with that, like finding like, how do we, when do we shut down? When do we switch to family or when do we switch to ourselves? Yeah. Okay. So then going back to Dragon's Den, mm-hmm. so the, the I'm out didn't seem to bother you that much, which is great. But then how did it feel when you got the first offer? We're like, okay, yeah, it's like that first pin that goes down. Like, you know what I mean? Like now the next, the other ones will come. And so yeah. I think that's what it felt like. I think you're just actually kind of silent in that moment. You're not really, you don't have the time to process really. Like, yeah. it's like, okay, got it, got one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just yeah. playing for a minute. Like, I don't know, maybe that was just yeah. me. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this later. But I think we hadn't like prepped and rehearsed and practiced what to do after the pitch. Right. You're in such a state of execution, execution, you know, building a company is hard, right? A lot of, you know, entrepreneurs will tell you it's like, it's, it's challenging and you're always putting yourself out there. And then when you get that one, yes, it's like you celebrate it, you feel good about it. And you're like, you know, like you feel hurt, you know, and that's, and that's a, it's a great feeling. So what happens now? Like, first of all, when did you actually record the episode? I think it was back in mid-June. Yeah, May or June. I think it was actually May. What happens when you finish the recording and you get offered a deal? What's the process look like and kind of where are you guys at right now? Yeah. Um, So You feel feel like you went on a date and you're waiting for the person to call you and then the next steps and then you you go kind of with the flow there and... Yeah, yeah. So essentially, like, you meet with the team, right? Like, it, there's, like, obviously, like, Michelle's, like, you know, super busy, and she's running a massive company, and, like, like, there's there's a ton of things on her plate. And so she has a team that supports her that we, you know, work really closely with. And, uh, yeah, essentially, we meet, we discuss, like, you know, different uh, items on, like, you know, what they're curious about. Some of the things that we discussed on the show, for example, like, you know, what, what would our you know, value prop look like as it kind of evolves and how are we thinking about those things? And then, you know, we share updates on like how things are progressing, how we're thinking about the things that they're asking. Right. And so, and then, yeah, that you continue to kind of uh, move in that process and, and uh, yeah, keep working with the team. So is it just like kind of a typical due diligence investor process after the show's over? Yeah, I would say so. I think it seems fairly standard. Like, I think, um, you know, they want to learn more about the business, like understand, like, are you carrying any debt? And, you know, what's your burn like? And um, what are your plans kind of, you know, 12 months, 18 months from now? What are you, you know, what are you looking to to accomplish? What's really cool is that we've learned is that, like, you know, the, the questions that they ask also, like, encourage our framing in a more, like, either broadening or more... Um, Thinking bigger, long term, like yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like you have to understand, like they've met you for the first time on a TV show, right? And then when you come off the show, like it's one thing to go straight into due diligence, but there's a whole other aspect that they want to get to know. What's your vision? What's your dynamic with each other? Like tell us, tell us more about the business so that they can catch up. And then, and that's fair. And you're kind of creating a new relationship, and so that whole kind of process happens. And it's nice because someone's digging into like different aspects of the business 
to get a deeper understanding, not just kind of go through a checklist of numbers and, and, and check boxes. So um, it's like you're developing a new relationship and partnership at the same time. Yeah. Nice. And so I know it's only been a little over 12 hours since the episode aired. Have you seen any change in like, even from a vanity metric standpoint, have you seen any changes on like your Instagram followers or have you gotten any early feedback from people you don't know, like who aren't friends and family? Yeah. Yeah. There's been like, I think all of our kind of channels have really kind of blown up in terms of like reach outs. And so like whether it's email, LinkedIn or Instagram, like it's just, there's a lot of like influx now. And so we're just trying to like take one and start to like manage it at a time. Our website was like, uh, yeah. I'm going through a bit of a blip, uh, just trying to get payment kind of processing and all that's up in, in line. Even the community, like, you know, I'm part of some optometry blogs and things like that. And it's, it's been really nice to just like connect with people within the community that didn't know us personally. And, and just to feel like, uh, you know, people around us were excited about, you know, something kind of exciting going on within the city and, and just kind of connect with the story. So it's been nice just like talking to people who are, um, at a viewing party we did yesterday and, and um, getting reach outs from people outside of our personal networks. Yeah, I think that was really nice for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously when you're making a hardware item, there's a lot of different moving parts to actually being available for sale and getting to market. It's not as simple as just, you know, turning on a website. But what else have you, what have you been doing to try to predict or prepare for the inquiries and orders that might come in after this airing? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the website was a big priority for us, like in terms of a refresh and like uh, story and the messaging. I think the other thing was also just working with our suppliers. Like, I mean, supply chain shortages have been really challenging for a lot of people right now. So we've been reaching out to, you know, like big companies and just saying like, look, we have this like demand and we're expecting to fulfill it and so we need help to kind of get the components that we need to be able to build so um yeah luckily we've had some really supporting partners and we're excited to keep working with them and moving that along yeah cool well what what's next for you may is there anything else that you guys think people should know i think we're just really excited to continue to share our story and like get people's feedback because i think for us like that's the most exciting thing for us is to hear how it's either changing people's lives or, you know, what they would like to kind of see next. And I think for us, we're very inquisitive or curious about like how people integrate rest into their life and, you know, really helping them kind of change it for the better. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. We're, we're following the story and we're excited and uh, I can't wait to buy my, my unit soon. So thank you. Thanks, Faisal. Thanks, Faisal. So one of the things that I take from your interview is that pitching on Dragon's Den is like a first date, but there's a long way to go before you're actually married. So uh, what do you think? Do you think they'll go all the way, so to speak? I hope they do. It seems like a very positive deal so far. What I think probably, and not to speak for them, but I think they kind of felt the same way is like Michelle Romano, she really identified and empathized with the problem herself, even before they could really tell her the pitch, she's a good match for them, you know, and it's not just about, I think one of the things I learned from them and from others, it's not just about the money, it's about the fit of the investor. And so I think the fact that it was Michelle Romano, she is a 
person who already feels passionately about that problem and then is offering them the deal that they were looking for. I think the foundation is there for a good relationship. So I hope they take it all the way. Yeah, it's so interesting how it's like a storytelling thing and whether you just resonate with someone. They also got like a slightly less good pitch from Manjeet Minhas. Mm -hmm. And I think what resonated with her is like, they are brother and sister and she is in business with her brother. And so like that really caught her imagination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, you want this person to be in your corner and they're looking for a return on their investment for sure. But they're also looking for something that they can be proud to be a part of and represent. And so you're right. There's, there is that need to be, you know, hearing something that fits with you. But then also seeing like, how does that person add value to your company? So Michelle, with her expertise in e-commerce, you know, is maybe, even though she also gave a better deal than Manjeet Minhas did, you know, that might've played into why they were more excited about Michelle's deal is also because of her area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Whether they close that deal or not, what do you think the marketing value of this appearance was for Yume? I think it was huge. I think they treated it like a really good marketing opportunity in terms of how they even executed the demo. What I think they did is they created, first of all, a really good opportunity around sharing it with the broader market just from the TV appearance. So I think the fact that they want to sell globally, this is a huge opportunity for them to gain that exposure really quickly because of the fact that Dragon's Den is a TV show and is built around promotion. They'll get all that residual promo from it. But then on top of that, they have these assets that they can use for a really long time. You know, I don't know what the number is, but there's always people who say that they've had like, you know, their website broke because of all the traffic from being on a TV show or something like that. The value from a branding perspective and from a lead gen perspective is massive. And then of course, you've got assets that you can use for for such a long time, even the way they did their staring contest game, right? Like that's a little clip that they could use over and over again. So I think it's huge. Yeah. And I think people, especially in um, my circles, kind of underestimate the power of television still. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I don't watch TV, except it's still a cultural thing. And we like we wrote on Taproot, we wrote a a little story, like just telling people, hey, you may going to be on Dragon's Den. And that got like huge traffic for us. That's not what we were going for. We just wanted to tell people an interesting thing is happening in our city. But people care about that kind of thing. And there's like a whole bunch of knock on effects for for being there. Mm -hmm. I would say that it kind of sounds like they're still working on their business model. Like they're not sure yet whether this is a B2B or a B2C or some combination of that. And then there's the other wrinkle of Michelle Romano suggesting to them that the real money is in a subscription to the the software that, that works the hardware instead of selling the hardware, which is like expensive. It's like 500 bucks per Mm -hmm. set, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What would your advice be to them as they sort all that out? I'm sure they have more sorted out than they are telling us. And probably for certain reasons, I noticed that um, they did mention when when Michelle Romano talked about the software, they did say not yet. And so Mm -hmm. I wonder what they're thinking about. But my advice to them is, you know, and they said this in the interviews, like you can't sometimes the right time for something just comes, it just presents itself. Right. And they didn't really plan to be on Dragon's Den. They kind of just went on on a limb and got on. So I think what I would say now to them is learn as you go, right? Like 
take the customers where you can get sets in hands and on eyes and then figure it out because I'm sure it is both business to business and business to consumer. And as they sort out how they're going to talk to insurance companies or how they're going to talk to, you know, other sales or marketing channels, just the more people that can try it out, you know, in the liquor business, I learned the phrase sips to lips. So they say Uh the more sips you can get to more lips, the better your business is going to be. And I think it's the same thing with, with their business, with you made the more people that try it out and the more people that are buying it, the more people you have talking about it and telling people that it's a great product, especially at a $500 price point. You need that. You know, if, if I tell you that this is a great product, you're maybe more likely to pay attention to it than if you just see a Facebook ad. Yeah. If, if they're confident in the product, just go for it. Sell it to whoever's buying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll check in on a couple of other local entrepreneurs who have pitched for investment on TV. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's a message from our sponsor. The world needs what Edmonton offers, a vibrant city of risk takers committed to tackling global challenges like the climate emergency, public health, food security, digital inclusion, social justice, and reconciliation. Edmonton-based solutions are exactly what international markets demand and where investors want to deploy capital. At Innovate Edmonton, we're positioning our city as an inclusive global innovation capital, supporting innovators of all stripes and putting innovation into the public realm with our groundbreaking new downtown home. Check us out today at InnovateEdmonton.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online anytime on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. So Yume's uh, appearance on Dragon's Den reminded me of another local business that made a pitch on the show. Unbelts was on season 14, three years ago, pre-pandemic. Um, and uh, founder Claire Thieker Brown was seven months pregnant at the time. Full disclosure, Claire's a close friend of mine. Did you did you happen to see her appearance? I did. I, I didn't watch it at the time, but I have seen it online. But first of all, I, I'm a big fan of Unbelts uh, and of what Claire has built. Um, especially when I look at all the reasons why behind the way, why she's building her company the way that she is. But Claire's appearance, it reminds me of the fact that this show is for entertainment purposes and it is scary. Like I, I wonder, I'm I'm really curious how it feels to pitch with your co-founder versus by yourself and how much braver you have to be for that. I mean, not to mention you know, all the emotions she's feeling from both being in front of an audience like that, and then also being pregnant and all of that. But man, I just commend anybody who is willing to, you know, put themselves out there, not in front of a private room of people, but on TV, right? Mm -hmm. And it reminds you kind of of like social media. And it's like, well, we're all at the mercy of people's comments and people's feedback. I think she did a great job. I like the pitch. What was interesting about her pitch was 
the way they focused on her valuation. And I often wonder that about a lot of companies. I know there's tons of different ways that you can come up with your valuation, but at the end of the day, it's a bit of like a throwing a little bit of a dart to some extent, and you, you have to be able to defend it. And I like the way that, again, that she came came about hers, even if it wasn't the way that the dragons felt was the best way to do it. But shows are tough. Sure. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and like you say, Charmaine and Ali at least had each other, which is yeah. like a, a different dynamic. Um, we'll link to her appearance in the show notes. And, and she also uh, published a really interesting blog post afterwards about what the experience was really like. And especially if uh, someone in our audience is thinking of going on one of these shows, you definitely should read that because it's like there's way, 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 way more to it than 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 you see on TV. Like she said, uh, it, she was in front of them for 45 minutes and a lot of stuff was said that was that hit the the cutting room floor so you can just imagine like how much doesn't make it on air yeah i i can only imagine because and even shermin and uh, ali alluded to the same thing you know after we were done the interview they said that things don't go in the same like exactly as what you see of course mm-hmm. there's a lot of recording and a lot of things like you say do have to hit the cutting room floor And, um, at the end of the day, it's making a TV show is a business in and of itself. And your goal is to get ratings, right? They're not, they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for their business and, um, and not to compare the same thing, but I always think about like any of these behind the scenes they do for reality TV. And you see a little bit more of like how questions are asked, what, what is stitched together, what is dropped. Uh, I mean, to me, it'd be fascinating to be behind the camera or or in the production room in a show like that. Um, but yeah, TV, it's especially reality TV. It's it's still a business and it's a big business. Yeah. Uh, a lot has happened at Unbelt since then. Uh, tons of stuff, more than I have time to to say here, but I'll just highlight that they uh, launched a line of kids belts. Um, they renewed their B Corp certification, and they're they they're in the top five percent, which gives them best for the world designation. And um, for Edmontonians, they recently moved into a new space in the in the French Quarter. That looks very cool. Cool, that's exciting. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Unbelt was one of the very early early B Corps in Edmonton, and since then we still have very few. But I think they're like. You know, to fact the fact that they're leading Edmonton, but also leading the world in terms of this best of the world designation. I do wonder how Claire feels about um, the fact that more people, more business owners, are caring about becoming a B Corp. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I asked uh, this question of the folks at Roundhouse a long time ago at McEwen is like, what besides the fact that you're doing um, positive things and you're aligned in your values, like what does a B Corp give you certification give you that? not having the certification, but still doing all the practices offer. So I still wonder that. And I'd be curious to know Claire's thoughts at some point. Yeah, We should have her on the show sometime. Yeah. Dig, dig into that. I also wanted to highlight Mallory Yangwe. She's the founder of the Indigenous Box, which is a subscription box service that promotes Indigenous entrepreneurship. And she had a chance to be on Bear's Lair, which is APTN's kind of version of this uh, kind of uh, reality show. And uh, it gives entrepreneurs a chance to pitch for money and mentorship from other Indigenous entrepreneurs. So I like that idea. Me too. I think. Um... You know, as much as I think it's important to have representation 
across all, you know, channels and, and styles of shows. I also think there's something really important to be said for communities supporting their community. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it still has to be a good business to support. And so that element is already table stakes. But the fact that you can watch a TV show and see somebody that looks like you or comes from the same place as you and is receiving support from people that are all around you, I think that's really amazing and a, a way to be celebrated within your own community. And, you know, being from uh, a smaller South Asian community, I think the same thing uh, for me is that, you know, it's one thing to get support externally, but there's some sort of extra warm feeling that comes from being supported by your community. And I think, you know, these shows give you an opportunity to think about the possibility of both sides, being the entrepreneur or being the, um, the investor, because that's also a really interesting role to be in and, and something that I'm sure lots of people are aspiring to do. Yeah. And the, the way that she talked about it when she was uh, on uh, Radioactive on CBC was that it was like, it wasn't cutthroat. It was like nurturing and mm. encouraging, which I, I mean, I'd be more likely to watch that than the sort of like um, go for it kind of mean stuff. She <laughs> too has accomplished a lot since Taproot uh, first wrote about her in April, 2021. She was a finalist for the Indigenous Entrepreneur Award from Alberta Women Entrepreneurs. And her business has grown to offer like gift collections, apparel, corporate gifts, Definitely something to check out as National Truth and Reconciliation Day, also known as Orange Shirt Day, approaches on September 30th. And we will link to all of that information that you need to know in the show notes. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. Bye.